And really what I want to do is help people understand this power, this ability we have in our mind, our psychology, our mindset to pretty much dictate and not control, not guarantee, but give us the best possible chance of achieving whatever we want in our life all comes from how we think about things. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. So this is the first time that I've ever recorded the podcast remotely without having the guest sitting in front of me in the studio. But as we are, you know, kind of making our way through this next few weeks or months, we're going to keep the podcast going. I really, really want to keep as many interviews and episodes coming to you guys as possible. I think it's really, really important that we stay connected, but also, you know, listen and learn and listen to something uplifting and motivating, which is what I hope to bring to you each week on the show. So here goes. Today's guest is an author, keynote speaker and former professional footballer. Today, we're going to talk about his journey and what he learned from playing as a Premier League footballer for 16 years and then taking the leap of faith to study, change careers and publish his first book. Welcome to the show, Paul McVie. Adrian, thank you very much for having us. As I said, first time recording remotely. It's so strange to not be able to uh, see your face and be able to connect with you. But I'm really grateful that we that you've given us the time today to to get on this recording. Listen, that's that's not necessarily a bad thing that you don't have to look at this face. As uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, I actually used to get a lot of stick over the years in the changing room about having a baby face and looking so young. But being 42 now, then that uh, that face isn't as young as what it used to be. Oh, no. Well, I'm sure it's it served you well, Paul, because now, you know, you're on TV. So who's laughing now? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So as I mentioned at the start, you know, you played professional football for 16 years in the Premier League. And, you know, you played for Tottenham, you played for Norwich. And, you know, th- that industry is, you know, it's ruthless, isn't it? So I think, you know, being a part of that for so long, I mean, there must be so many things that you learn. Where, where, where do you start? Where do you start? Well, the first thing I should say is that I've never been introduced. And the first thing that someone said to me is an author, first of all. So it's amazing how just the way that you're, you have picked up on this and thought, right, okay, I'm going to go for author, then keynote speaker, then footballer. And mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it further down the line about identity and just how important that is of, of what we think about ourselves and also about what other people think of us and and it's so funny over well I was in professional football for 20 years playing and and then even longer from when I first started working as a sports psychologist in it as well and it's so interesting that the first thing that people have always associated with me is as a footballer whereas your introduction started off with the author so I quite like that that's a good little um turning it around yeah, well, it's interesting that you said that about identity because I think for so many people, 
we are we can be defined by what we do you know we don't necessarily have to be but i think many people can be defined by by what they do what they choose to pursue as a career and i guess yeah for someone as a professional footballer i mean the stereotypes around what that's like but what's the reality of you know being a pro sportsman for 16 years and also being part of a team well i suppose the first thing i would say is that it was amazing it was just absolutely how, how, how can you describe okay so let me put it this way so growing up on the streets of belfast you know i grew up in in quite a quite a trouble time of the 70s and 80s and 90s and mm-hmm. if you know anything about the the troubles of northern ireland then it would be safe to say that tanks driving down your street and soldiers walking past you with rifles pointing them in your face you know hitting you across the head etc etc these things were just normal growing up in that in that era of the 70s and 80s in Belfast but of course because you're a kid you just think that that's normal you know I just thought that walking to school everybody saw tanks driving down the streets but then I came across England and realized maybe that's not so normal so but as a kid you just think it's normal but the only other thing that I did when I was growing up was just playing football so Every single day before school, you went in and played football. In the break times, you're playing football. Lunchtime, you're playing football. After school, you're playing football. You come home, get changed. If, you're, if your mum's not home, you quickly run straight out. Otherwise, you'd make you do your homework. And then you go out and do more football. So you're doing it all day long. And mm-hmm. imagine doing that every day with all your friends. That's all you did until you're 16. And then suddenly, one of the biggest clubs in the world, in England, Tottenham Hotspur, come across and say, would you like to do this every single day with um, other amazing other amazing players and other professionals? And I thought, yep, that sounds like a great idea. So then I went across to London in 94 and started playing in uh, at Tottenham Hotspur and had a couple of years in youth team. And then suddenly the manager went, here, we, we quite like you. Do you think we could give you um, a professional contract and pay you some more money? I thought, yeah, that sounds really good. <laughs> and then suddenly in the first year, at the end of the first year, the manager suddenly turns around and goes, um, by the way, we, we think you're good enough to get in our first team. Do you want to go out and play in front of thousands of people and play on match day every week? I thought, yeah, do you know what? That's really, really good. And, and, and imagine that's your life. And just people just keep going, here, let's give you more money. Let's put you in even more ridiculous situations that possibly every football fan as a kid grows up wanting to do. And you end up being the one that does it. It's, it's wow. really, really hard to describe just mm. how incredibly amazing your life is in that environment but that's obviously one side of the story because that's mm. your dreams and everything you ever wanted to do and and to be able to go and do that and achieve that and and I suppose not only the playing football but actually one of the goals I had because we'll come up, probably come on to this a bit later but I was quite weird because I was very kind of goal orientated I was very focused as a kid that I just wanted to be a Premier League football and just wanted to be an international footballer so that's all I wanted to do and by 19, I'd kind of achieved that goal. But it wasn't just about playing one game in the Premier League. I actually wanted to play a lot of games. And it wasn't just about playing professional football for one season. I wanted to have a long-term career. Mm. So well, it obviously went from there. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you're being incredibly modest by, you know, this description of, you know, oh, you know, played. And then they asked me to play here because, you know, you, you, football is incredibly competitive. There's hundreds Completely. and hundreds and thousands of, you know, young athletes, young footballers who who want to make it. So you must have been incredibly talented, firstly, but also nothing comes without hard work. So I suppose having that goal oriented mindset, you know, straight from the start, do you think that that... It, 
you know, informed your your behavior and your choices. Because as you said, if, if you were playing football for hours and hours and hours a day, that's not necessarily the same as, you know, my son likes football and he enjoys watching it and he enjoys playing it. But, you know, he goes to practice on a Thursday night. He plays a match on a Saturday. He might kick a ball around, you know, for maybe a couple of hours in the week, but he's certainly not putting in, you know, five, six hours a day. Yeah, well, that that's the interesting side because, you know, whenever you kind of are growing up and, and we talked about identity and, and people just said, oh, that's Paul, he's he's the footballer. And because you kind of just, for me anyway, it was just taken as normal and I, because I was going across the Tottenham Hotspur from, from an 11-year-old, so it was always something that was associated with my life. So it was just something that I did. So interestingly, people would have said that I had natural ability, but, you know, I'm sure you've come across... All of the research that talks about, you know, how probably this natural ability isn't really just natural ability. It probably has something to do with all the hours and hours of the spend and playing football was probably the fact that you were playing in, in better teams and you were improving. Um, you were playing against better players, which obviously needed to improve your skill if you wanted to try and compete. But I suppose, you know, fast forward in 20 years to, you know, having done my master's in sports psychology and understanding, you know, that this ability probably isn't the natural ability I've and that's part of why I wrote the book because the ability that I had it was the ability I developed at a professional level and people who get to any kind of mastery of whatever their craft is then that is developing over hours and hours days weeks months and years to improve in this until you suddenly can compete at an elite level and and it is interesting that you said about being a very ruthless and competitive industry and and you know, whenever I'm doing my keynotes with different businesses, that's one of the one of the points that I make that you know, getting to the top. And I'm not saying I got to the very top because you know there were thousands of people way better than I was. So, but if I talk about someone like Cristiano Ronaldo, it's really interesting because Cristiano Ronaldo, when he was a young player at Manchester United, he was only 18, and he was you know he had obviously bought him for about 12 million. So they clearly they knew he had potential, knew he was a good player, but he was nowhere near the best in the world. But over the last probably 10, 12 years, Cristiano Ronaldo has got to the very top of what I would consider the most competitive and the most ruthless industry on the planet. And the way I I normally qualify that is to say that there were so many kids like me, like Cristiano Ronaldo, like players all over the world who were growing up wanting to be professional footballers. And the interesting thing is they don't just want to be professional footballers in their country. Where do the most players want to play? In England, because it's in the Premier League, because it's the most money, it's the most prestigious. And so getting to the top of the Premier League really, for me, shows someone who gets to the very top of the most ruthless and competitive industry on the planet. Mm, yeah, and it's yeah so interesting what you described then around your natural ability and you know the whole nature-nurture conversation. As you said, it's mm-hmm. like you have to have a talent but I think once you I guess you had that identity you know again growing up that oh you're the footballer Paul's the footballer and then you start to think well you know football's my thing and football's what I'm good at and that gives you the confidence I guess when you're going into situations to you know perform and deliver in a different way and yeah I do think it's really interesting the I guess even the psychology behind that, because, you know, if you're constantly told, because it works both ways, right? It can also work the other way around. If you're constantly told that you're not good at that, you're not good at that, oh, you're not the best at that, don't get your hopes up. Then even if you are talented, I think I see it going the other way. And people often, you know, they don't believe in themselves or their abilities and they don't pursue something or try it because they've always been told, oh, you're not that good at that. Do you want actually, you know, with the right amount of skill acquisition, practice, repetition, 
who's to say that they couldn't become, you know, as, as good as anybody else. Well, you're, you're suddenly going very much in the, in the, my, my area of passion and, and enthusiasm because I, I, everything around psychology is just something that I've been fascinated with, Adrian, for the last must be 25 years now. I, I, I told you I was very focused on wanting to be a professional footballer, but actually it was whenever I was 17, because, you know, as much as I was a decent player when I was growing up, I was never the best player in the team. So this is just probably something we need to establish now that the player that I was, I was always, you know, right in the middle of the group. I was never the best player, but I was never the worst player. I was never the best athlete, but I was never the worst athlete. And technically, I was I was never the best, but it wasn't. So I was almost like right slap bang in the middle of most of the teams that I played in. And this is where, for me, it's really interesting. Why is it that someone who's average athlete, average technically, average tactically, can go on and have a long-term career in professional football, where there was players who were the best player, who were the best athlete, and didn't? And for me, the only answer I can ever come up with of why that happened was down to my mindset or my psychology or the way that I thought about things. And, you know, you talk about whether someone tells you you can do something and, and probably the belief that that child might get from it or whether someone tells them they can't do it and maybe the lack of confidence that they will have. But actually, for me, it was all about what can I do differently that's going to allow me to have a long term career and what can I do differently to give me an edge over pretty much everyone that I'm competing against in my team. And for me, that always came back to my mindset and psychology. Mm, yeah, I'm also fascinated with with mindsets and and psychology as well. And I think it's so interesting that the different athletes that I've interviewed on the show, you know, whether especially if you're I think being a being in a team, it must be slightly different because a lot of the athletes that I've interviewed who, if they're, you know, in athletics and it's a solo thing, you know, a lot of their training is on their own, they're competing on their own. And although they feel as though they're part of a team, for example, Team GB, it's yeah. it's just very solo. Whereas for you, you know, you mentioned then about being competitive and do you think it was different kind of having this pursuit of success as a team or did you still feel like you were competing with the people in your own team? Well, I suppose this is interesting whenever I get asked to do a lot of keynotes about um, team performance and, you know, performing better as a team. And I think what I what I always come back to is the fact that the team is made up of individuals. And as much as I've always been in teams and, and even like even all the exercise that I do now and pretty much everything I do now, I always do it in groups. So I hate going out for a run by myself, but love going running in a group. And I hate going to do weights by myself, but I love going doing running in the, or weights in a three or four people. So I'm such a pack animal and I have been obviously because I've been in probably a team environment for so long. But it's always the individual that needs to be performing. So even though the team is the most important thing and it's more important than all the individuals, as soon as one individual doesn't perform within that team dynamics, then the team doesn't perform. So that's why as much as any team is always greater than the sum of the parts, it's always down to, I believe, the individual's mindset or psychology that's going to dictate whether that team performs. Because if that one person isn't performing to their level, then the team isn't going to function or it's not going to function as efficiently or productively as what it could do. So actually the team is really, it's really fascinating for me because I still haven't got anyone or I've never had a conversation with anyone that has can convince me to say that there's anything more important in the team than an individual psychology. 
Mm, yeah, that's interesting because I guess there's so many things, there's so many different things that contribute, I think, to a team dynamic. So I mentioned in the intro, Paul, that you took a leap of faith. So you retired at the age of 32 and you mm-hmm. decided to, to retrain and to study uh, sports psychology. So how did you have the confidence at that time to make that decision? Because for a lot of people, I think they have ideas about changing careers or about, you know, what if this, what if that, maybe one day, but they don't often have the confidence to actually take that leap of faith. Well, I suppose there was there was two parts of it. The first thing was that I was getting really old and slow, and uh, I couldn't keep up with the <laughs> with the younger players. So one was a little bit of a leap of faith, another one was a bit of a push over the edge because you can't keep up. But it, yeah, it's it's. I think it goes back to what I mentioned uh, about ten minutes ago around identity. So a lot of uh, sportsmen, women, um, athletes in general even people who are in the military, when, you know, we, we kind of touched on earlier about how, you know, the identity of the job that you do can sometimes define people. Whereas, you know, if you speak to someone who's either a doctor or a lawyer, you know, that's it. They're just a doctor or a lawyer and the whole job almost can consume them. And I, I probably, because I was so interested in, in personal development and mindset and psychology that I came across this, this topic of identity and and your beliefs and how powerful they can be and and it made me think that if I solely had a belief that I was only a professional footballer and without going kind of too deep into it that's actually an extrinsic event and what I mean by that is I can't go up to Manchester United and say give me a professional contract I can go to Tottenham Hotspur even if I'm at Tottenham Hotspur and say give me another professional contract so it's as and it's extrinsic event because someone has to give me the contract for me to sign it. Mm-hmm. I, now listen, I can put myself in the best possible position. I can be as fit as I can be. I can train hard. I can do everything I can do to get myself in that position. But it's still external to me. It's extrinsic, so I don't have that control. And it made me think that actually, if I can only see myself as a professional footballer, and because I don't have the power to dictate whether I'm a professional footballer or not and someone takes that away from me, it felt very, very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And what it made me think was, so actually, instead of just being a professional footballer, how else do I identify? And then I started to think, well, actually, I'm also you know, a son to my, to my parents, I'm a, I'm a brother to my brothers and sisters, I'm a friend, I'm obviously, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time, I... Um, I started renting houses to students, so I thought I was a landlord. I was doing my sports science degree, so I thought myself up as a student. I started learning um, Italian, so I thought of myself as a linguist. Then I started learning music, piano and guitar, so I thought I was a you know a musician, even though a pretty bad one at the time. Anyway, all these things, it was just different ways of me being able to identify as all these things in my life instead of just thinking I'm just a footballer. And also as well at the time, especially in the 90s and early 2000s, the reputation of footballers was pretty bad. You know, it wasn't, you know, there was a lot of people had very, um, what's the word, very low opinions of professional footballers. And, mm. you know, again, fast forward in 10 years, the whenever actually I wrote the book and the book, the title of it was The Stupid Footballer is Dead. And the reason why I got that published with Bloomsbury is because I wanted to try and completely blow this myth that footballers were stupid because I knew loads of footballers who were, you know, they don't have to necessarily be academically super smart, but they were really switched on. And, you know, I've yet to come across anybody who can walk into football and change room and get the best 
of a group of footballers because they're so so clever and so astute of working people out because especially in that public environment we get and footballers get thousands and thousands of people approach them every year so you're really good at working out what people want and, and what they want from you so just the fact that i thought this reputation the footballers had wasn't you know it was very unfair and i thought that actually i know people who actually one was a studying to do his law firm or, or sorry studying to be a lawyer you know and one was trying to be an accountant i knew loads of people who actually were academically smart and i just hated this fact that most people thought that I was stupid and I thought well, actually this identity of being a footballer isn't really that good so actually that was another reason why I wrote the book because you really needed to blow this myth out of the water that the footballers were stupid and and hopefully the book goes a little bit about that but actually then going back to the leap of faith question it is to do with I really thought that I needed something else to add to my credibility as a keynote speaker and a sports psychologist at the time to hopefully allow others people to see that you know i'm not just living off the back of my playing career there's actually something i can offer whether it's in the keynote speaking world in the business world in the sports psychology world and that's when i went off and did my did my master's in sports psychology Mm, yeah i can definitely relate to what you're saying then about the vulnerability piece you know around kind of not having control of your own kind of career destiny life destiny you know i used to Mm -hmm. be a dancer i used to be in a musical in the west end and i've got lots of friends who are professional dancers professional actors actresses uh, my brother as well and that you know that thing you described of you can do all the things to put yourself in the best position you know you can be amazingly talented and disciplined and work hard but essentially you're still gonna in that industry anyway go into an audition you might be auditioning with 40 other people might be 200 other people but it's ultimately down to someone else to make that decision whether you get the job or not it's not actually even about talent you know it's just about whatever it is the jigsaw that fits together to to cast that show and i know for a lot of actors actresses dancers i'm sure it's the same for many industries where you can perhaps do that for so long and you know you can have highs and lows and obviously you know some success but you ultimately doesn't matter how successful you are even if you're the leading lady in a West End show for five years, mm-hmm. you still have to kind of go back into that audition round feeling again of, is someone going to give me a job? And, you know, yeah. for, for many unemployed actors, actresses, dancers, it's, it's that constant limbo of, and also the highs of like when you are performing and when you are in this amazing contract, you're kind of being told that, you know, you're the star, you know, literally you are the star. And then <laughs> the, con- the contrast to that of being like, actually, yeah, you're waiting for someone else to give you permission or to give you that job. And and I think that maybe as well as we get older, perhaps we change our, our view on that because, you know, when you're maybe, I don't know, early 20s, you're kind of happy to just roll with it. You know what I mean? But then yeah, later yeah. on in life, you think, actually, I want to have some control and like some some say in, yeah, my career and in my future and in my life. Uh, absolutely. And, and I was going to say it actually takes a special type of person to do that kind of role or work in those industries. But I don't think it's a special type of person. I think it's a special type of mindset because it's, mm. it's a bit like a sales salesperson. They have to be able to take so many no's just to get that yes. <laughs> and the ability to take no after no after no after no and then get the yes is the same as going to be for a dance audition or if you're a singer or, you know, um, I ran down plenty of trials as a, as a professional footballer. And, you know, <laughs> this is this is the funny thing. This is where, you know, football for me is, is so amazing in so many ways because it gives you everything you could possibly ever want. 
but then also just slaps you in the face and hits you down as well and and just put you put you on your backside because you know I went I was play I'd played in the Premier League I'd been player of the year top scorer Nari done all these different things inducted into the Hall of Fame and then they released me and then I went on trial to be four different clubs <laughs> and you're thinking hmm this is very strange why, why am I going on trial when for the last you know seven years I've been playing in all these different leagues and different stadia all around England all around Europe and and you just think well, that's just the way football is. You know, it has this amazing way of just bringing everybody back to a kind of a level pagan. But I suppose that's that's also good because then it, it stops all these egos from getting out of control and giving people a little bit of humility, which which is always a good thing. Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. So for anyone listening who's thinking that, you know, maybe they want to change careers or they want to restudy, they want to study something new. And you know, what, was, you, we've got a lot in common, Paul, because I'm also learning Italian. So when I heard you say oh, that, yeah. Like, yeah, well, I kind of laughed to myself because I say that I'm learning Italian, but I've not been as disciplined as, as I'd like to be. So it's it's, it's okay. slow. It's slow, but I'm, I'm trying. Um, but for, okay. for anyone who wants to start, you know, you know, do you want to speak in Italian at the minute or do you want to, do you want to get Definitely not. Definitely not that. <laughs> stage definitely not that stage I won't embarrass myself but hey you know I'm trying so I feel like I'm using I'm using the Duolingo app and I also went to I also went to some Italian lessons in a school which it it kind of felt weird because it was just in a local high school after school hours so I felt like I was going literally back to school so that was kind of strange but yeah I'm definitely not ready for the for the chat yet um But I wanted to say, you know, when you went back to studying your masters, I read that you you'd re- you didn't enjoy the kind of the studying process at all. So how did you? Hell no. How did you? I guess stay disciplined to complete it because for so many people, the thought of going back and yeah, as I said, back to school, restudying it just they just think no way, I couldn't do it, forget it. Two things I would say: one, I'm a stubborn little git. So that's the first thing that I was just like, it's not going to beat me, it's not going to beat me. Um, and the second thing was that it set a goal for myself. Mm-hmm. So, so this is this is um, probably a different a different side of of what I do in my life. That since I was seventeen, I don't know if I, if I did mention earlier. I think I touched on it, but when I was seventeen, I read a book by a guy called Tony Robbins, who I'm sure a lot of people would know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it was a book called Awaken the Giant Within. Now, whenever I got this book, you know, I can even just visualizing it now. I can remember one of my friends brother-in-law's gave it to me because he was he was um very close friend at the time still is and um i remember he gave me this book i opened the book and he had this little inscription and it said to your success november 95 best wishes tim so i remember getting this book all those years ago reading this book and when i talked about coming across from belfast and and the the mindset that i had as someone from belfast whatever that was at the time when I read this book, it was like the blinkers were just completely thrown off what I or the way I viewed the world. And I remember just thinking, wow. And because it's such a chunky book, it's like probably five or 600 pages in the book. But, you know, this might show you as well how I was a bit weird as a 17 year old kid, as a young professional footballer, reading 600 page books on mm-hmm. personal development. But effectively, the whole message in the book you could sum it up in one line of saying, stop looking outside of yourself because everything you will ever need in your life, you've already got. Wow, and that I is really remember. powerful. So that was called Awaken, <laughs> Awaken the Giant Within. Awake, Awaken the Giant Within. And I remember, now this is, this is obviously me summing up this book, 
but that was effectively what the most powerful message in the book was. Mm. And I just remember finishing and putting it down. Well, every every time you read a chapter, it was just another. My mind was getting blown with every single uh, page that I turned. But effectively, the book changed my life because whatever trajectory I was going on at that time, and suddenly as a 17-year-old, I started looking at the world around me with just a completely different filter. So I'll, get, I'll give you an example. Because I was a kid, I wanted to be a professional footballer. Then I read this book, and I didn't just want to be a professional footballer. I wanted to have a long-term career in professional football. And one of the incidents that happened, we'd go into the physio room every day, which is pretty much where all the all the players congregate, just to have a bit of crack and just to you know slag each other and get your strappings and whatever you needed to get ready before training. So that was like the hub of the training ground. So I was in there in 1995. I was reading this book, and I saw our captain at the time was a guy called Gary Mabbott. So anyone who might know Gary Mabbott, he played nearly 700 games for Spurs. So he was just an amazing guy. And whenever I found out later on when he'd retired that he actually had diabetes and he still played 700 games for Spurs, it was just phenomenal. Anyway, so he's the club captain. But I saw this guy who was probably a 35 or 36-year-old guy on the physio bed and for about 40 to 45 minutes, every single morning, he was either getting strapped up, he was getting rubbed, he was getting massaged, he was getting clicked, he was getting cracked, he was getting tablets, he was getting sometimes injections just to get him out onto the training pitch to go and train every day. Wow. And I remember thinking as a 16, 17 year old kid, looking at him going, he's the club captain. He's like the most experienced player in the whole club, but he's still only a 35 or 36 year old guy. And no matter what you do in football and what you do in life, you're probably going to be living, hopefully, to 70, 80, 90, if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, I never want to end up like him. Like, even if, it, even if it allowed me to play 700 games for Spurs, I never wanted to end up like him. Because I thought the one thing that I really want of professional football is to leave professional football injury-free. Mm-hmm. So then I started looking around and, and as these little things happen and we have this thing in our brain called our reticular activating system, which is a bit like a kind of an antennae or, or a filter of things that we kind of notice that are important to us. And, and because I had this, I want to finish football um, injury free. I was having a conversation with mum every Sunday night, which we did. So speaking of my mum and she suddenly came across this conversation. She said, Paul, have you ever tried yoga? And I was like, yoga mm, no and she went i think you should try it i think it'd be really good for you and i was <laughs> and you know it sounded uh rude but i was like what in a church hall with a bunch of middle-aged women it's not really for me you know not not as a 16 17 year old kid and she was like but it's really really good for your flexibility would that help your football and i thought yeah yeah that would be good and she goes and it's really good to improve your strength would that help your football she's like yeah and she goes and it reduces injuries would that help your football it's like, yeah, it's because it improves your so, core strength. And I was like, what's core strength? You know, you didn't even know about that at the time. So all of these things until eventually I was like, mm, right, okay, I'll do that. And so this turned out that I then started, because I didn't have the cojones to go and do yoga in the, in the training ground at the time. So I bought a video. Do you remember, Adrian, are you old enough to remember what a video is? I am indeed. Just okay, about. Okay, okay. Just about. Okay. Okay. So anybody before, you know, before. Uh, Netflix and streaming, you know, we had these things called videos and, and so I used to watch this video every single day before training. So I was going into training already completely stretched out, feeling fit, feeling, you know, uh, ready to go. So this happened for a number of years while I did this at home because I basically didn't have the the um, 
you know, the ability to go in and do it at the training ground. And then eventually when I got the Norwich City, so it was like probably four or five years later after being doing it home until I thought, hold on a minute, I'm a first team player scoring goals in the, in the, in the championship, you know, playing every week. I can go and do what I want here. So I walked in with my yoga mat <laughs> on the first day. <laughs> anyway, I went in and tried to do yoga and not joking. <laughs> they took it off me. They cut it up into little pieces. They completely you know, ripped it up, right? And you know what I talked about when I'm doing my masters? I said, I'm a stubborn little kid. So I'm like, right, they're not beating me. So I came back in the next day, went and bought another yoga mat. And I went out train, come back in, and it burnt it this time. Oh, it's my literally God. Physically well, the other players? The other players? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Set it on fire because, like, why are you doing yoga? So, again, went and got, bought another yoga mat. And this time, whenever I'd gone out and I'd come back in from training, and it had it out in the car park, and they were doing, you know, like, donuts in the car over the top of it. Oh, <laughs> so my they completely gosh. ruined it. Until eventually, I'm like, there's no way these bunch of retrobates are going to beat me. So I bought another yoga mat. Fancy went into the side of the physio room, put the yoga mat out, started doing the yoga mat. I'm not joking. I was getting pelters from everybody coming in, slagging me, shouting at me, you know, giving me all sorts of views. But carried on, carried on. <laughs> and this is the interesting thing because this is almost like the three pillars of change that have like sort of how anything changes really in society or or across life. That the first thing is normally this kind of violent opposition of mm. we can't do it like this. That's impossible. You shouldn't be doing this. Why are you doing this? Kind of thing then the second part of that of the second pillar of change is a bit of a curiosity so what started happening when i was going in every single day instead of people coming in and slagging me because obviously people were getting bored of saying the same things and i was carrying on doing it eventually someone stuck his head in and went paul what what are you doing that for i was like well I'll just do it just because it helps me feel better so whenever i go out to do the warm-up i'm already stretched and feel good before we start training i was like all right okay until eventually the third pillar of change is acceptance. So you have this violent opposition, then you have this curiosity of this new find, what are you doing? And then finally there's acceptance. So what suddenly happened after a couple of weeks of me doing this every single day in the physio room, players started coming in and joining me while I was doing yoga. I love that. I love that. I've heard that before that, you know, this idea that the first they'll ask you why, then they'll ask you how. And I think it's really interesting that, well, firstly, I'm picturing you, you know, as you described this like pro footballer, you know, that kind of stereotypical, the the, the bad rep that they had. And then there's Mm -hmm. you like opening up your backpack to get your, your, your Tony Robbins <laughs> Tony mat. Robbins book out and your yoga mat. I'm like, who is this guy? You were ahead of your time. You were ahead of your time, Paul, because now I feel like the world, uh, you know, of, of sports, of sports science, of psychology, of wellness, nutrition, mindfulness, I feel like they're all, you know, linked. And now people know that, okay, I need to sleep well. I need to have mobility. I need to eat well. I need, I feel like it's accepted, as you said, acceptance. It's accepted that all of these things are what make up, you know, the athlete and, and the body. And, and so you were just way ahead of your time. Well, it, it's really interesting because it all goes back to, so you know how we're kind of all very self-serving, that, you know, we'll just do things that will probably benefit us in our life. A lot of the time, obviously, we'll do things that probably don't help our lives sometimes, but a lot of the times we're doing things to help us. So really, it was it was that all these, I don't even know if it's stars aligning, it's just probably taking all these different um, snippets of information, and I'm reading a book over here, I'm going in and seeing our club captain, I'm speaking to my mum on the phone, I had to have another conversation with my dad on the phone. And this is just all just random conversations. I don't think they were planning this. And he said, you know, Paul, have you ever heard of visualization? And again, I'd never heard of it at the time. I was 17 at the time. 
And he said, well, because my dad's a big golf fan, Jack Nicholas, who was the greatest golfer ever, one of the most majors, more than Tiger Woods. And, and he said, listen, before Jack Nicholas plays every shot on the golf course, he visualizes where he wants the ball to go. So why don't you try this technique for football? Because obviously it's, it's a skill. It might be something that might help your game. So suppose what I haven't told you at this point, and I didn't realize it, but looking back and you start to analyze some of these things that I was clearly very open-minded. And all it was, was that I said I was focused. I was also goal-orientated. And because I wanted to be a professional footballer, I pretty much would have done anything that I thought would help me to become a professional footballer. And of course, because I know I'm not the best player and I'm not the best athlete, I'm looking for an advantage that's going to help me more than anyone else. So I started doing this thing called visualization. And my dad sent across, you know, made the joke about the video, but this is going really old school. He sent me across a cassette. Mm-hmm. That's that's stretching it. So we know what a cassette is. <laughs> so anyone who's younger might not know, but they can Google it. Anyway, so he sent me across a cassette and I started listening to a Paul McKenna cassette on visualization. And I was doing that every single day, week after week, month after month, for pretty much about five years. Now, this is interesting, Adrian, because whenever I'm doing my speaking gigs, and I'm going all around the world doing it, and, and I know you're doing the same thing, and my first almost opening gambit is putting on a little video, two-minute video, of just me scoring a few goals when I'm, whenever I was playing over the years, okay? Mm-hmm. And the reason why I do it is one, because I've got this really bad blonde highlights at the time, but you know, it was fashionable. So, but it gives everybody a laugh, <laughs> scores, shows me scoring a few goals. But then the other thing is that I ask people, does anyone, can anyone recognize the most common type of goal that I scored during this little two minute video clip? And it turns out the most common type of goal I scored was me getting the ball on the left-hand side of the football pitch, cutting in around the edge of the 18 yard box and trying to curl it over the top into the top right-hand corner over the goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much the most common type of goal I scored in my career. Probably about 50% of my goals were like that. And when I then tell people that as a 17-year-old kid, having that conversation with my dad on visualization, I visualized just one single scenario every single day for about five years. And my one scenario was getting the ball on the left-hand side of the pitch, cutting in to the edge of the 18-yard box and curling it over the very top of the goalkeeper into the top right-hand corner. Mm. And this is where it gets interesting because all of my keynote speaking is all about how mental performance for me is probably the reason why I've done anything that I've done in my life. And actually, it's the reason why all of us are doing anything. It's the reason why you get up every morning at half five, the reason why you go running, the reason why you're doing your marathons, the reason why you're doing this podcast and all the dancing and everything else you've done. It's all to do with our mental performance. Now, some people call it psychology. Some people call it mindset. Some people call it our thinking. I just believe that because my life has always been about performance, I've been judged on my performance every single day for about 25 years. And I'm happy with that because that's just part of the world I've lived in. And now, whenever I'm doing my speaking gigs, I get instant feedback on that, on how well I'm speaking or not. And I get that judgment, which is fine. But I believe that our mental performance is so important. That's why I call it mental performance because we're all performing at a certain level mentally. And interestingly, that one visualization scenario is something that I was doing every single day for five years. And 20 years later, I show a video and the majority of my goals were the one single scenario that I visualized when I was a kid. And the other part of this is because I've now gone and down the academic route of getting to a master's level of sports psychology, I now understand, well, actually, 
because I did that visualization, is that why I scored those goals? Well, cause and effect is such an incredibly complex thing. But once you understand that it probably wasn't the 100% sole reason why I scored those goals, but I think it definitely had an impact. And really what I want to do is help people understand this power, this, this ability we have in our mind, our psychology, our mindset to pretty much dictate and not control, not guarantee, but give us the best possible chance of achieving whatever we want in our life all comes from how we think about things. I and absolutely you know what, agree. And you know what the sad thing about this is? Whenever I go through the different exercises and try and share these different, um, what would you call them, um, tenets of psychology or you know different topics or subjects or strains or strands of how we think about things, and whenever I throw it back to the audience, because I'm always wanting to get them engaged and asking them, you know, how they do things. And when I throw it out and say, so, you know, so how much of your day, week, month or year are you consciously dedicating time to improve your mental performance? What do you think the normal answer is I get? Honestly, I don't think people spend any time, not every single day. Yeah, it's generally zero yeah. or you might have one person at the back of the room might put their hand up and say, oh, I did some goal setting a couple of years ago and I might have them in a drawer somewhere. Mm. And, and for me, it's like I'm, I'm not standing there judging people, you know, and it was, and it was interesting. I was listening to your, your podcast with Trevor Nelson and he kept saying that a whole lot of times. You know, I'm not, you're not judging people. All you're really doing is just sharing the fact that this has been probably the most important aspect of my life and the reason why, I was never the best player, but I had a long-term professional football career. I was not the most high-profile um, professional football, but then I've gone on and done and had a you know a, a keynote speaking career that's taken me around the world. I was not the smartest kid in school, but I'm the only person on the planet that's got a master's in sports psychology and played in the Premier League. All these different things that I've done, it's not because I'm superhuman or 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 good in any way. It's just because. I have a way of thinking things that allows me to achieve what I really think is going to help me in my life. Paul, I absolutely agree with you. I couldn't have, honestly, I couldn't have, nodding my head. I'm like, as all of the things around your own self-belief, you know, the mindset, you know, the things you talked about with visualization and how powerful that is. I've seen it in my own life. I've definitely seen it in, in other people's lives. And also I think even the opposite as well, you know, having, you know, anxiety or catastrophizing thoughts and negative patterns and kind of repeating that it, it works both ways. You know, I think when you, you know, almost obsess as well for some people around, you know, the, the barriers and the negative things and the what ifs and the, Oh, but this, Oh, but that, you know, that I don't think people realize sometimes how powerful that is and how much it can hold them back. And so often when, you know, hearing you speak, then it was so clear for you you know at the time you might not have been aware of it but it was so clear for you what your goal was as you said you you would have done anything to get it you know you you were open-minded to those new ideas of you know visualization or, or yoga or these things that I think in certain industries you know within the wellness industry anyway I feel like people are like very open to the idea of you know visualization of yoga you know even yoga itself you know it teaches more it's not just about the physical practice so I think maybe in the wellness space it's slightly different but I definitely think in different industries people they either have like a closed mindset to it so they kind of go oh yeah yeah visualization affirmation blah blah think positive and all that rubbish or they kind of I don't know, maybe they just never have considered that it's actually something that's valuable. It's actually something that is practical. It's not just a kind of 
woo woo, nice to have, you know, listen to someone speak for an hour and that's it. It's actually, you know, really powerful and, and impactful. If you apply these things to your life, it can change the trajectory of your entire life. Like really, truly, I believe that. So, I mean, yeah, as I said, couldn't have said it better myself. I totally, totally agree with you. And mm-hmm. Paul, I want to ask you about the power hour. So yeah. on this show, just don't I make ask- me just don't make me sad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we do actually. <laughs> I love that. For me, my power hour is all about the first hour of the day. Anyone who's listened to the show a few times will know that. Yeah. Um, or yeah, if they see me on Instagram, I'm always out at first thing in the morning. And for me, it's about movement around yeah, setting uh, my mind in the right way and starting the day in the way that I want to. So Paul, I'd love to know, I'm sure you have a cultivated morning routine. I'd love to know what that routine is and also what time you get up in the morning. Okay, so it definitely varies. Um, the, I, I think I would say I am a creature of habit. I think we all probably are creatures of habit. And, and having a life that was very structured from footballing days for nearly 20 years, and then suddenly coming out of that, and now my life is so um, unstructured in a way that I'm traveling all the time for my work. So because for the last number of years, I was I was doing keynote speaking around the UK, and since it pretty much since I did my masters, I um, have started going further and further afield to America, Asia, Europe, different places. That now because I am traveling so much, my routine is very very mixed and varied. But if I'm at home, if I wake up in my own bed, I generally don't have a set time to get up. So I think, you know, fair play to you that you, you get up at 5.30 every morning and you go straight for your run. So I think that's really, really impressive. And when I get up, the probably the first thing that I want to do is to go and go and get showered so that I can come in and start my yoga. But I only do like probably 10 minutes in the morning mm-hmm. of just going and doing some yoga. So because for me, and this is probably flipping back to that, that story I told you earlier, because I wanted to come out of football injury free and luckily for me 10 years ago I left professional football and I haven't got any injuries I don't have any you know serious niggles or anything at all so for for doing the yoga every single day is something that I think is hugely impactful for that beneficial for me and it just gets me into a really really good place straight away so it would be doing that and then I would be going downstairs and I got a, I started seeing one personal trainer. I've only seen one personal trainer in my life and I did it about a year and a half ago, a guy called Luke Matthews in Norwich and he's a fantastic guy and he gave me a little, um, almost like a, a, a morning drink routine and it was just like having one of those little, uh, you know, the fizzy effervescent vitamin C tablets yep. that you can drop into your water plus some lemon, squeeze some lemon in and some he, he put in said Himalayan salt as well mm-hmm. and put that in a liter and that for me is pretty much it I don't really have too many other things that I would do that it's it's you know rigorous or something but I would probably try and do as many of those as I can and in the last probably I'd say maybe three to six months I've just started doing more and more don't do it every day so I'm not going to say I'm um absolutely 100% on this but more and more I'm having cold showers in the morning because I've come across that Wim Hof and and Wim Hof is in the house he's obviously he is an amazing guy and and 
probably I haven't explored that as much as what I'd like to, but I always test myself. You know, sometimes, you know, I, I, I'll stand in front of the shower and I'll look at the shower and I'll think, feel like a warm shower today. Don't, it's almost like, it feels like your resilience is a bit down. Don't need the cold shower attack. Yeah. So, but then other times I'm like, right, come on, bring it bring on. It on. Let's do bring this. It on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's Honestly. just that, just because you feel better to go and have a crack at it. Yeah, well, honestly, we could talk about this off offline, but the cold shower thing and the the Wim Hof and the ice therapy, and honestly, we could talk about that for a whole hour because I've got a lot to to say on that. And and I do yeah. the cold, I do the fire and ice myself. My my husband is the biggest fan of the cold shower. I don't think he's had really? a hot shower. I don't think he's had a hot shower in over a year. He he Amazing. does the cold shower every single day, regardless of the season. And Amazing. yeah, so yeah, big fan of that. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, obviously, you mentioned that you travel around the globe which unfortunately yeah. is not going to be the case for a while nope. so perhaps you know your your yoga in the mornings your effervescent vitamin c and maybe even your cold shower will perhaps become yeah. your your new normal because we're all having to create well, a new a new power hour absolutely. right well the, the interesting thing is is that so two two things i, I just want to say this and i'm not sure if i've gotten over this fact yet or if i'm still a little bit kind of hanging on because you know it's all about being in the present moment yeah but one one of the uh I was going to go and do a tour of Asia at the end of March. Mm. And that was going to go to China. I was going to have my first speaking gigs in China. Um, I was going to Japan for the first time. I was going back to Hong Kong to speak there again. I've already been there. I was then going back to Singapore and I've been there, but I was going to go. And I got confirmed about a week and a half ago that I was going to go and speak for Microsoft in Singapore. Oh wow! And, uh, and you're like, what's and then, going on? And then they close the borders, and then the gig is cancelled, and I'm like, no. Honestly, Paul, there's so many of us yeah. all in that situation uh, right now. I but... know, I know, I know. But listen, it's it's only just to say that that is something that that I I really feel like it's all a case of it's not happening now, but it will happen again in the future. But going back to the routine, see these next couple of months straight away. I'm thinking, right, okay, what routine can I get myself into? So that I know that when I get up, and it's almost like a bit like you talked about going back to school earlier. I'm like, right, okay, I need to get up at this time. I want to go and do my yoga before I leave the house. And then this morning, I went for a run at nine o'clock so I could come back, so I could start working by 10 o'clock in front of the laptop. Obviously, we're doing this. And then I'm going to go and do X, Y, and Z over the rest of the days. But things like you mentioned about learning your Italian, I've got time scheduled in for doing my Duolingo time for reading time you know i want to try and give myself as much of a routine and agenda every single day so because i heard a story a long time ago whenever and i told it about growing up whenever um i was in a really troubled area a lot of people from my area were all going to prison because they've all been involved in things that they felt was important at the time but two people were going to prison for say 20 years and one of those guys would come out of prison after 20 years and he'd be a fantastic table tennis player because he played table tennis every single day. The other person was come out and he was a scholar because he studied his master's, he'd done his doctorate, he's done you know all these different things. So it's a bit like we all have this situation, we're all on lockdown and we're all going to come out of this in whether it's six weeks, three months or six months or however long. And I'm just wondering what kind of person I'm going to be when I come out of this because I could be absolutely up to date with every single netflix series i've ever wanted to watch <laughs> or i could come out and i've maybe done my online training course my e-learning program that i want to create maybe i've studied language more maybe i've gone back in to learn my guitar or piano again 
I've just gone would be way more productive than just coming out having done loads of things that probably aren't going to help me long term. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's really nice to think that way. That as you said, when we come out of this, it's like, what can you have achieved in this time? And yeah, none of us perhaps would have chosen this or foreseen this, but we certainly, you know, hard work is never wasted. So personally, I'm with you, Paul. I'm kind of I've got a structure, you know, I've got a structure for my son now, homeschooling, but also for myself to kind of say, okay, this week I want to achieve this. Today I want to do that. And you know, obviously, it's not to say pile on the pressure and kind of you know. 12 hours a day but I think it's really really important to yeah have a goal and kind of think well if this is what the situation is for however long it's going to be let's at least do what we can to make the best of it yep yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Paul. So I have one closing question for you. But before I ask you that closing question, can you tell the listeners of the show how they can connect with you? Yeah, the, the best way for me is, is all on the socials, everything from Twitter, which is just Paul McVeigh 77 or my Instagram, Paul McVeigh 77 or or actually, my, it's funny, the, the, the most business I have and probably the, the most interaction I have is on LinkedIn. And I'd say I probably get maybe 50 to 60% of my work is on LinkedIn. So anything to do with that is would be great. And obviously my website, paulmcvay.co.uk. But apart awesome. from that, just, just drop us a line, say hello. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. Okay, so my closing question, which I ask to every guest this year is, if you had an extra hour every single day, so you no longer have 24 hours, you now have 25, because <laughs> often people say to me, you know, I don't have time, Adrienne, this power hour thing sounds great, <laughs> but I don't have time. So if I was to give you one extra hour a day, what would you use that extra hour to do? Okay, so I have a completely different take on this in terms of time because that see that excuse of I don't have enough time in the day is it's really it does doesn't wash with me at all mm-hmm. because I have so many people who who either say oh I can't go to the gym because I'm married with kids or I can't go to the gym because I've got a full time job and then I know other people who are married with kids and full time job and go to the gym three times a week so that that doesn't wash at all with me so would it be I don't know if it's a cop out to say that actually I wouldn't change anything in my life because I use the time you have pretty much. Um, yeah, I, I, I use, put it this way. We have a, we have a philosophy and a belief in our, in our mind span program. So whenever, whenever I do my keynote speaking and if people like it and they want to do more sort of corporate training, you know, sort of 10 or 15 people in a room for three days and we take them through a program and we have a, a belief in it that actually time, is the greatest resource you'll ever be blessed with. So I see this whole, you know, the Monday morning thing of like getting up on a Monday morning. It's like, oh, Monday, got to go to work. You know, how many people would love to go and do that now? Mm. And yeah. most people don't even just have that Monday morning feeling on a Monday morning. A lot of get it on a Sunday evening at about six or seven o'clock thinking about the Monday morning. Yeah. And for some people, it doesn't even finish at like, you know, 12 or one o'clock on a Monday afternoon. Sometimes it can go through to either thursday evening for some people it's really sad it goes all the way through to friday and i just something that because of my belief because of the way that i view time and because i really do believe it is honestly the most precious resource that i have in my life and i really do my best to use it wisely for me because if we put this in the context have you any idea how many days there are in the average lifetime oh no that's a really tough question but when you ask people, people massively overestimate how much they think they have. But actually, mm. on average, in this part of the world, we get about 28,000 days. 
Wow. So we get 28,000 days, right? And I don't know how old you are, Adrian, but you look pretty young, but I'm 42. So I've had about 14,000 days. Wow. That's, which wow, means that's... If, if, if I'm lucky, and, and I've been probably the luckiest kid on the planet for the last 40 years, but if I'm lucky, I will get another 14,000 days if I'm lucky. Oh, waste them. You cannot waste them. But how many people don't get that? And mm. how many people don't get the average? And we've seen with the all the problems that are happening at the minute of people who are getting nowhere near their average. And so see that whole Monday morning feeling, waking up and thinking, oh, it's Monday. I stopped doing that a long, long time ago because actually, and I'm not, I'm not some sort of automaton. I don't get up like, you know, like a robot every single day. I'm sure you don't even know you, you very quickly get into a, a mindset that you're going to go running every day. But for me, I don't wake up like this, you know, little positive Duracell battery. But I really understand that even if I'm not in the best frame of mind when I wake up, I need to do something very, very quickly to get myself back into the way that I'm going to go and do something on my Mondays because I know Mondays don't have the power to make me feel anything because I'll decide that. Wow. Amazing. That 28,000 days, that is powerful stuff. So I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so much for being a guest, Paul. And thank you so much to the listeners for tuning in, for giving us your ear, for giving us your time and listening to this show this week. I really, really hope that you are well. I hope that your family members are well. I hope your friends are well. And I really hope that if you enjoyed this episode, that it has given you some some motivation today and hopefully made you feel good so if it has then please do let us know and please share it with someone else who you might who might value from listening to this episode as well as always you can rate and review the show on itunes please do that if you have some extra time right now if you have a few minutes to spare then please do rate and review the show it really helps the show to reach more people and helps me to book new guests thanks again have a fantastic week thanks paul